Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. In this episode, I'm always on the hunt for something new, and no, I don't mean, hey, so I threw all the day-old muffins from the grocery store into the mash tun and then aged the beer on 100-year-old funky Jamaican rum barrels type of new. I mean, something that seems like it could have always existed and didn't until just now. And that, my friends, is how we get to talking about Radiant Brewing and Topa Topa Brewing's collaboration, Am I Even Kolsch? A dark Kolsch that's been double dry hopped. But first, a message from our sponsors. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. The Seltzer Sensation is here, and our friends at Mangrove Jacks have specifically formulated their newest craft series yeast for making home-brewed hard seltzer. The Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer yeast and nutrient produces a clean, neutral flavor and aroma profile, allowing you to get creative with your hard seltzer recipe. Homebrewers can use this blend of yeast and nutrient in their own seltzer recipes, or choose from one of the new Mangrove Jacks hard seltzer recipe kits, which are formulated to make up to five gallons of refreshing 4.5% seltzer. The kits come in three thirst-quenching varieties, Raspberry Breeze, Lemon and Lime Smash, and Pineapple Sunset. And welcome back, everybody. Thank you for sticking around. And don't forget, if you've talked to any of our sponsors, let them know that you heard about them here on the show. Now, as I teased in the introduction, I have a beer that when I first saw this, made me go, what the hell is that? And then I tasted it, and it turned out to be pretty good. Now, given that it's from my friend Mr. Andrew Bell down there at Radiant Brewing Company, that's not a huge surprise. Andrew, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. <laughs> now, you How's not, it going? You did not brew this beer alone. This no, I did a, not. This was a collaboration. And so on the other end of this whole spectrum, Casey, introduce yourself. It's all my fault. Um, so yeah, Casey, uh, brewmaster and uh, co-founder of Topa Topa Brewing Company. Yeah, out in uh, Ventura area. Yes. Anaheim and Ventura, and all I can think about that is that's a long damn drive. Or a train ride, or a train depending. Ride. Good point. Train ride's at least a little more fun. You can have a beer on the train. And we yep. had many beers on the train. <laughs> so let's actually talk about why we're here on this program, because like I said, I think about two weeks ago now, I actually went down to uh, Radiant and sat down on the porch and had a pizza and had some beers, and I 
I did the thing I always do whenever I go into a brewery, and the first thing I got was a flight. Right, if, I have, if I haven't had all the beers there, I'll get a flight just so I can actually tell, hey, okay, get the story. As I was choosing the flight, there was one beer on that list that I initially actually skipped over. And the beer is called Am I Even Kolsch? And why don't you guys describe what it is? Uh, I mean, it's a collab beer and a beer that probably only exists because of collaborations. Uh, we, In general, it seems like people in the brewing industry like to push each other to brew, you know, slightly zany, weird, bizarre things. But, you know, they can turn out pretty fun. So as far as the beer itself, hot side, it is pretty much a Kolsch with some exceptions. It's a cologne water. It has the Weirman-type cologne malt. Um, it has some noble hops, standard bittering and standard gravities for a Kolsch. And then we added a little bit of midnight wheat and some Cinnamar. So taking it out of the Kolsch realm, fermented it with Kolsch yeast, and then it's double dry hopped, one stirring primary with uh, CTZ Cryo, and then at the end was Strata. So it started as a Kolsch, and then it wasn't a Kolsch. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, let, let's back it up and summarize it. It is a dark Kolsch-style beard that is double dry hopped. Something like that, yes. <laughs> as far as I'm aware, and my knowledge of German beer is imperfect, there is no such creature. In no. Beer. What caused you all, you, Andrew, you had said that, you know, oh, these collaborations, we like to, uh, we, we like to push each other. So what caused y'all to push in heretofore other unknown directions and something likely to piss off a drink? Uh I mean, Casey can probably yeah. cover that think, a bit more. I think first and foremost, it was just to piss off the Germans. Um, yep. Cause that's, that's something that I'm just actively doing. We have a German brew house. Um, that, so anytime that I can get them upset, um, is is a win for us but no i think i think andrew hit on it with these collabs um kind of just want to go out of the box and you know during covid we weren't able to really like get together have beers and talk about the collabs. so everything was kind of via zoom and uh we were just kind of talking about beers that we were really excited about we brew a kolsch um at toba topa that um all the brewers really love and um we kind of saw the black ipa kind of coming back from the dead and we kind of chatted about that style and then the kind of this elusive cold IPA that's been floating around that Andrew and I are still trying to wrap our heads around. So I think this was just kind of a mashup of all of these ideas of us being really excited about brewing with uh, a Kolschis as its base, but then trying to really push that style and, and see where we could go with it. Exactly. I mean, we, we started talking like loggers and it seems like a lot of our collabs we've done so far have been lager based and it's like, well, Kolsch is adjacent to that, you know, using some traditional German ingredients and yeast. And then it's like, oh, wait, we're California brewers. We also like hops quite a bit. So, and we had a pretty awesome lot of strata that we wanted to use. So I don't know, just kind of morphed its way into, into this beer. And thus was born something that has never walked the face of the earth before. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I still want—I uh, still want to figure out who's responsible for reviving Black IPA and have words. Um, yeah, I'm—I'm I'm not entirely sure. It seems like somewhere between Firestone and Stone, but yeah, I don't know. Well, hey, yeah. I mean, at the same time, though, Wookie Jack and Sublimely are the two of the best. Yeah. Let's uh, let's dig into this thing. So, as you said. 
it was, hey, loggers, we like to do loggers. We like to do <clears> something <throat> goofy. We like to make Germans mad. And we've got some really awesome hops. First, Andrew, have you, have you guys done a, a black IPA there at Radiant? No. Case I, 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 I haven't brewed a black IPA in seven or eight years, at least. Right. Yeah, we, we did um, probably. So we've been open for about six and a half years. I think we did one six years ago. And it's one of the few beers that I wasn't a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a little lazy, to be honest, and added a little too much carafa. Um, I should have added just half a bag and mm-hmm. didn't really want to hang on to the rest of the malt and just threw it in there. So it just had this roast character that uh, we were not excited about. Um, but a lot of our customers really, really dug in. The irony of all that is I get asked about that beer all the time. But it's I, it's a really easy answer is it's never coming back so <laughs> but, uh, by the way thank you for giving me more ammunition in my argument that professional brewing recipes are almost always in sack amounts absolutely it, <laughs> yeah when you get to a certain scale like when when you're doing anything above like five or ten barrels it doesn't make any sense to not do either full half or quarter i'd say quarter sacks for you know roasted malt mm-hmm. you can break it down that much but usually it's half or full bags there you go. preferably full yeah, exactly. Get this out of my get this out of my pantry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't want to keep this malt on hand for whatever other weird beer we're doing. You you had said you know hey it's it's until you get into the double dry hopping and you get into the addition of that color, it's pretty much a Kolsch, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, water so, water profile, yeast, uh, hopping, hot side gravities, and then you, malt, malt, yeah, everything. And then you messed it up. Gravity wise, what are we talking about here? Like, uh, are we talking like twelve degrees or, or something? Uh, I think it was eleven five. Let me actually take a look at the recipe. I should probably have that pulled up. Yeah, I got it in front of uh, me. So it's, it's yeah, twelve five. Okay. Case Casey came prepared with the recipe. There you go. Doing the whole homebrewers calculation thing. So twelve five pulled is about ten fifty in homebrewers units. Yep. A nice moderately sized beer for you had said, hey, you know, Kolsch water. So what do you mm-hmm. know, what'd you guys do with the water? So we actually share a vendor in common. We both have a, the same RO system um, from a guy up in Ventura. So we're used to using this system. But yeah, we stripped it down to the Cologne water profile. So calcium about 37 ppm, mm-hmm. 10 ppm of magnesium, 25 of sodium. Uh, sulfate 70 ppm, chloride 35, and then just overall hardness, we're going for like 80 ppm. Mm-hmm. Fairly mild water, except for that sulfate. Yep, yep, exactly. I think talking with Casey, both of us are, we don't use, at least I'm talking for Radiant, but I thought we mentioned this as well. Like, we're not, I don't over, I don't use a huge amount of minerals on my hoppy beers. Um, yeah, I usually yeah, keep every, everything well under a hundred PPM. Yeah, we're the same. Um, we we're a little bit softer on, on most of our beers. That's not surprisingly unusual for American brewers, right? Uh, I've talked with like European brewers and they they go much harder on mineral levels. Than yeah. Beer. There's a lot of people these days I feel, especially with hazy IPAs, have just hit it so hard with chloride okay. that. You know, and even to be honest, there's a lot of there's a lot of traditional, sorry, more traditional California brewers who also go pretty heavy on gypsum as well. 
So it kind of depends. But yeah, I've, I keep hearing these people who are doing like, for their hazies, are doing like 150 plus ppm of chloride. And it's like, yeah, that's not for me. It becomes kind of soapy at that point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. All right, so we got a, a relatively soft water, a little more, a little more sulfate in there to kind of bump up some of the hop character, and mm-hmm. also to accentuate some of the malt dryness. Yep. Um, now you had mentioned you're using sort of a traditional Col- uh, style malting, so you know, mm-hmm. the Cologne malt. Uh, uh, did you say who who's? Yeah, it's it's Vireman, Vireman uh, type Cologne. Um, I think they used to sell it as like shilling or something like that. Um, as like a slightly different maltster, but I guess Vireman. Bought them, up. bought them out yeah well, so it's it's a fun basically german pale ale malt it's like 3.5 srm yeah and it's it's more biscuity it's more toasty than exactly the and is it just the 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 kolsch malt before you get into the color malt uh there's a little bit of wheat okay. as well like like when you say a little bit every time like 10 percent. yep exactly and look at me 10.5 um, <laughs> i must be psychic all right and then so that's that's still on in the regular mashing, and then you you talked about okay, hey, now we added that midnight wheat, and it's basically all color. Yeah, it's huskless, so it's not imparting a lot of astringency. There's a little bit of roast character to it, but not much. Now, was that in the mash the whole time, or were you doing like capping with it? I'm trying to remember now. Um, I want to say that that was added at the end. Okay. Th- yeah. That that plus like another bag of two row to or sorry not two row but the Kolsch malt to chase it why that extra bit of malt uh just to clear out our auger yep yeah i think we're brewing a lot and i think we're brewing like a pilsner the next day so we didn't didn't exactly need didn't exactly need any dark stuff in there all of it went into the mash tun. we didn't add it like during lauder or anything like that (laughs) yeah not not that late in the process at all right Right. yeah but it's it's funny because that Clearing out the auger is a thing that you guys have to worry about. That at least on the homebrewing scale, we don't have to worry about, right? Yeah, pretty much. It, it's a thing, though. It, it is a thing. It, it, we it, actually it. still. This is kind of a fun fact for us: is we actually still uh, bust out our homebrew mill and we'll mill our dark malts because we actually have a wet mill at Topa. Mm-hmm. So um, we kind of learned from Firestone and the gang that those wet mills really don't like dark malts. So we actually will throw it in by hand um and it just kind of saves us an additional cleaning step mm-hmm. do the wet mills not like it just because they're so friable that they kind of just glue up they just glue up it's just a little stickier in that chamber so it, it's it's just kind of a pain in the ass to really clear out that dark malt well, and i was gonna say one of the, the wet mills already a pain to maintain to start with so no, no need to make it any harder yeah we love ours actually it's probably our, our favorite piece of equipment in the brewery no, do you guys like it because of the effect on the husk or just for getting the start on the hydration? Why yeah, kind of a array, array of reasons. Um, first and foremost, we gain probably five to six additional points of efficiency that we couldn't achieve with a dry mill. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also, it's uh, super gentle on the on the malt mm-hmm. um, as well. So we do see um, our lotters just kind of cruise through. And also what's really nice is we're able to uh, mash in uh, or mill and then mash in um, immediately. So we're not sitting on uh, grain that's been pre-milled, you know, the day before or a few days before. So um, we just feel like it kind of brightens up the, the malt profile. It's a nice piece of kit if you can get it for sure. 
So one question about the what mill. You, you'd, you'd said in your array of reasons, Casey, that you gain five to six points of efficiency, you think? Is that just because of the extra time, or is it because you can get a finer crush because the, the husks are, aren't shredded? Yeah, I, I think it's because of that finer crush. Um, it just... The mill kind of acts like um, if you've ever been to sushi and you know had some edamame, mm-hmm. uh, it, it kind of acts that way where it kind of pops out um, the the endosperm and gets a nice crust, but uh, leaves that husk intact. So, um, yeah, we just we've seen um, just you know tremendous um, efficiency gains just just from that as well. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Going back to the am I even Kolsch? We got the the midnight wheat. We got the uh, that's going in late, chased out mm-hmm. with the, the the pills, or sorry, with the uh, with the the Kolsch malt, mm-hmm. um, and then we get into the boil. And you had said traditional hops in the boil. Yeah, we we also I should say we added some cinnamar during the water. Oh, okay. Oh, you put cinnamar the during the water. Okay. Yeah. All right, and and for people who don't remember, cinnamar is Wireman's sort of. Well, it's not a caramel, right? It's a it's a no. it's a malt based food. It's just, yeah, it's it's malt extract, extremely dark malt extract. Yeah, it is uh, inky stuff. Although it's yes. quite thin. Um, yeah. What am I? <laughs> oh man, it's this part of town. Um, all right, so we got the cinnamar, we got the midnight wheat. So at this point in time, we've already gone off off the rails because now we have a dark beer. Yep. That probably at some point in time did exist in Cologne, but certainly not the thing they're known for. Then we get into the hoppings, and you said the hopping was sort of traditional up until the end, right? I mean, ish. Ish. <laughs> the hot side hops are both German hops, so it's bittered with magnum to about 20 BU, and then there's about an 11-pound charge of Saphir in the Whirlpool. So I would say probably more traditional would be like you know, a 10 minute edition or a 20 or 30 or something like that. instead of like a whirlpool super late, but mm-hmm. it's, it's German hops. Right. I mean, Saphir, I guess a little bit more new school as far as German hops go, but where, where do you think relatively your bitterness ended up as opposed to like a, a normal Kolsch? Cause it, when I drank it, I didn't really, I mean, I got a lot of hot flavor and I got a lot of hot, mm-hmm. hot aroma, but I didn't get a big bite. I mean, we're like, again, we don't have the labs to run the analytics, but target would be about 23 to 25 IBU, mm-hmm. which, yeah, which is ball, ballpark for the style. Yeah. So, I mean, again, not going overly weird with the bitterness. And then we come out of the hot side in, in into a cold strain. Which particular cold strain did you use? Uh, we use the GO3 from Imperial, the Dieter East. Dieter. I can't remember which one that is. Is that? I can't off the top of my head either. All right, so Dieter's in the house. Dieter's doing his job. What's what's the fermentation profile look like? Uh, the fermentation profile was, you know, keeping it low sixties, like sixty-two, a little bit, a little bit, a couple days in, raising up towards sixty-eight, and three days in, we did a little, uh, a little dry hop with some CTZ cryo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just just because I, I don't remember i i remember that casey casey was interested in doing the ctc cryo from another beer that you guys did i don't yeah I remember so what that was it's all uh ian at, at rip brewing company's mm. fault uh so we did a fun collab with them and he introduced us 
to the CTC cryo. Um, it's incredibly inexpensive for, for cryo. And um, it, it was really nice. So I know when we were talking about this beer, we wanted to bring some kind of newer school hops to it and, and make it kind of feel a little bit more West Coast. Uh, so I kind of brought this up and I didn't think Andrew was actually going to go for it. And then, uh, when I saw the recipe, I was like, all right, we're doing it. So yeah, let's do uh, it. I didn't, I didn't even know that yeah. they, someone bothered to make, to turn CTZ into cryo. Oh yeah. So, so it's like, yeah, it, it sounds interesting. Like might as well, might, might as well get some in and, you know, smell it and see what it's like. Again, this is inspired by the rip collab. So again, seeing, uh, uh, sort of, shall we say, the ripples of uh, collaboration uh, going through the industry. But what did you really, what did you really like about that CTC cryo? What, what did it, what other than the the inexpensive for the the punch delivered? Yeah, so for for CTZ, you know, it kind of gets a little bit of a bad rap because it, it you, was used primarily for you know um, just alpha and, and bitterness, and then um, I've had some wonderful IPAs that were hundred percent just CTZ, but this particular lot that they use for cryo talking with um, some people from Yakima too, they were super excited about it. Cause it was just bringing um, a lot more of those big citrus notes and it kind of shied away from the herbal mm. um, flavor that you can sometimes get from CTZ. So I think it was just a really nice background note right. for this just wacky beer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It, it definitely showed you know, a little bit less of the green vegetal character that you can get out of it. And it was very light on DMTS. So it doesn't have any of the onion garlic. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say yes, citrusy, good fruit, a little bit of grapefruit going on. It's nice. Which when I, when I tasted the beer, it did a really weird sort of play off that biscuit note from the, the Mm -hmm. along with that, just that tiny bit of roast that you get from the midnight wheat, you know, where, Mm -hmm. because in a lot of ways, the the beer was the beer came out kind of like this uh, more dark milk chocolatey brown color and had those co- uh, that little bit of coffee note and then and then suddenly it had this orange thing it was like it reminds me of those you know Christmas chocolate oranges I can see that for sure um, and of course some of that's just the way your brain interprets ooh color chocolate you know mm-hmm. um, everything else roast and citrus together kind exactly. of can come through like that yeah. So you had that CTZ cryo in uh, for how long? Uh, three days in. Three days. And again, that's at that 60-ish degree fermentation that you were doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we raised it up a little bit after that into the higher 60s. Okay. It just like a diastole rest and clean out. Uh, exactly. Okay. Yep. And then how, how long – well, and actually after that, did you, did you go into that hybrid lagering mode and, and drop it or – uh, after we dry opted and it passed VDK, we chilled it down to 29 and let it lager for, for a bit. Okay. It, it, what, like a week or two or two, okay. two weeks. Two weeks. Yep. All right. And then after that, any, any other hops or was it just the CTG cryo? Oh <laughs> uh, no. So before, yeah, before we got it down, uh, we dry hopped it with a much bigger charge of this very interesting lot of strata that we have, um, that, that gave it a pretty pretty cool note. Um, it's this lot of strata we got from Crosby that I actually selected when I was at the brewery, and I've bought some from the brewery since then. Mm-hmm. It's it's an oddball oddball strata lot. It's like seventeen point three alpha acid <laughs> and a huge amount of oil content. 
um, but no onion garlic, just huge, huge fruit. Yeah, and see, and the samples of things I've had with strata in the past, I always, I, I almost always feel like I get a coconut flavor off them. Yeah, it it really depends on the lot. I feel like strata being a relatively new hop, just and there's what like four or five farms growing it right now. Yeah. It's it, it seems to have a lot more variation than some of the hops that are more established. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've I've seen coconut. I don't. I, I this lot is just super like berry and stone fruit forward. Yeah, we didn't get any of that coconut that right. you can see, but it, it was big, big berry. Were you guys aiming for like a particular sense memory or a particular culinary idea in order to get that to combine like that big orange and that big berry, or was it you just wanted to present sort of a a, a big fruity bomb in the back end of the the nose? I, I think yeah, getting some good fruit character and just sort of highlighting highlighting this really cool lot of strata. Yeah, and I think that it could be a little bit reminiscent of some like cold brew coffee to an extent of some big like free yep. notes, something from like Africa or Ethiopia or mm-hmm. something along those lines, um, kind of playing off those flavors. Yeah. When you start to get some of that cherry, uh, cherry tone to the coffee. Absolutely. And Casey, what are your feelings on Strata? You know, it's something that we haven't used a lot in our brewery. We do a, a nice single hop series. Um, we've been doing that since we started mm-hmm. and we have used Strata in the past. And I think to go back to Andrew's point, it's just, I think it's kind of finding its way between all of its different farms. So I haven't been able to find consistency in the, in the strata that we've used, but this lot that, that Andrew and, and the fellows picked were, was really, really nice. So we got the, that big dose of strata in there. How long, how long was the strata in place for? Uh, I mean, our standard thing is to dry hop a beer. We do a little research while dry hopping, and then we'll rouse for the next two days, and then we'll try and dump as much hops as possible after okay. after two days. So, again, going into that kind of more modern, short contact time. Yeah, yeah. It, pretty much just our standard, how we treat hoppy beer. I think a lot of people's dry hopping regimens have really improved as they've started to switch more to that, if not colder, then at least shorter contact time mm-hmm. get, get, get all your essential oils avoid all the all the veg yeah yeah i mean if you go if you go too cold you can definitely be pulling out grassier more vegetal flavors mm-hmm. as well i well at least at least in my experience there there's many different ways of dry hopping beers and it it really depends on what ends up working for you at your brewery and then so we got the the beer there we, you did your lager so when did you guys put this on tap? That is a great question. Let me see here. I believe we released it on August 11th. Mm-hmm. And a little a little bit over a month after we brewed it. Okay. So about a month from from grain to glass. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was there it was it had been out for I, I want to say about a month or a little less than a month actually. Yeah, you probably got it right towards the end I would guess if it was a couple weeks ago yeah and i just remember talking to the to the taproom staff they're like yeah this one's a strange beast it's it's really a, a, a brewer's beer <laughs> it's it's unique i mean it, it definitely came across like like a black ipa with some nuance i would say and also i mean given given its abv it it actually 
I would say the flavor wise punched a little bit above its above its weight. I, I mean, it tasted like a black IPA, but it was five point four percent alcohol. Yeah, but it, but what was nice is it didn't have it didn't have a lot of that roast bite that I think a lot of black IPAs have gotten a reputation for. Thank God. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> people still have nightmares. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, people forget that American Porter used to exist. Uh, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I judged some American stout at JBF this year, and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, dark beer with hops. This is this is fun. <laughs> that used to be a thing. Yeah. So, apparently, it still is. A little bit, at least. Granted, this is a collaboration, and I'm, I'm, most collaborations are one-offs. Is this strange little beer ever going to show its head again? I mean, who knows? We At Radiant, we, the only beer that we consistently rebrew is the whip beer so everything else has been one-offs i i can definitely see casey and i brewing a beer again at some point but it'd probably be something else just just for fun you know some other way to make people go what what are you guys doing <laughs> Absolutely. maybe yeah i i, I know like uh, like i said this beer is no longer available and i i think i have two cans of it left in my in my beer fridge so yay me um <laughs> But people can still go down to Radiant and go and try uh, go and try a bunch of your creations there. Uh, mm-hmm. Casey again, Topa Topa is in what in downtown Ventura, right? Yeah, so we actually have five locations. Our newer uh, production facility is um, just south of our original location that was in downtown Ventura. But we're also in Ojai, Camarillo, and Santa Barbara plenty of places that you can go and try some uh, topa beer and of course like i said you can always go down to anaheim and go to radiant and uh, andrew i i shouted you guys out on a previous episode of the main show but congratulations on the gbf one. Oh, thank you <laughs> appreciate <laughs> that <laughs> uh I, I was hopeful for a medal but everything else was uh was unexpected <laughs> to put it mildly hoping for a medal is one thing that's fairly it- normal yeah, uh, you know, if you're hoping to actually win, you know, the brewery award, you know, in your size range, uh, that might be a little arrogant. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that I was not imagining in a million years that that was on the table. One last question here before I let you guys go, Mister Bell, if you were to redo this beer, what would you do differently? <sighs> what would I do differently? Um, I mean. I don't know if there's a huge... I, I wish the clarity was a little bit better, despite being like a dark, opaque beer. That's the main thing. I don't know. Like, these sort of one-off, fun collab beers. Like, I think the beer turned out well. I mean, I'm not... I'll be honest, I'm not the biggest black IPA fan, which this beer is not, but it's very reminiscent of it. But there's not a huge amount of change, except for I wish the clarity was a little bit better, given the extended lagering time at, you know, 29 degrees. What'd you learn? I mean, CTZ cryo is a thing. Um, <laughs> you, you brewing with the cologne malt and the uh, you know cologne water profile was fun. That was new and different. It, it was a fun beer. I was I was very happy that I was able to actually reuse this yeast for two other beers. So that was nice. It wasn't just a fresh pitch just for this one beer. Well, I know there are some people out there using uh, cold yeast for their hazies too. So. We did a unfiltered IPA with it, and then we used it to finish it off in a kettle sour. There you go. Yeah, our uh, our house hazy uh, spectro is uh, Kolsch yeast. Uh, that might that might be what I remember from our, one of our happy hours. Then 
All right. Well, in Casey, to throw it over to you, what would you change about the beer and what did you learn? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't change much. Again, these these one offs, we're just have, having fun. I think it's, um, you know, two breweries that, that make great beer. We want to um, push ourselves and we know it's just going to be kind of a one and done. So um, I think that's what's exciting and fun. I mean, we could sit down and we could brew a Kolsch, but what's what's the fun in that? Um, so I, I think um, I'm, I'm with Andrew on it. I think the clarity, it was a little bit too chocolate milk like mm-hmm. for me. So maybe dropping a little bit of the uh, mid- midnight wheat and push the cinnamar a little bit more. Um, I think that's something that we've, we've used some cinnamar in the past. Um, and it is a really fun tool to really just mess with people. Um, cause mm-hmm. if you're, you have that perception of, you know, dark, uh, color of a beer is bitter and roasty, but, um, we kind of proved even with this beer that you can make it taste more like an IPA. Well, yeah. Some of the best we, black we, IPAs I've had were basically the IPA recipe dosed with cinnamar. Yeah, we we used it back in the day at the brewery to make a, a beer that tasted like Coca Cola, like with no roast character whatsoever. So, okay. it's a useful tool. Casey, what did you what did you learn other other than Cinemark? What I learned um, that Andrew and his team are really fun to drink beers with. I think that's <laughs> what I took away from from this collab. Nice. Yep. There we go. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot of rice lager consumed that day. My, my joke about brewery collabs is a lot of times the the collaboration is, you know, the head brewers for the for collab on the recipe. They get together, they take the ceremonial photo of them with pints in hands, dumping hops into the kettle, and then they go off and have pints while the brew st- uh, the the lower brewers are doing everything else. There's there's kernels of truth to that for sure. Um, I will say the Toba guys helped grain out. And did not break the mash done in the process. Always good. <laughs> so that was good. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's basically a good excuse to hang out with friends, get some beers, uh, usually try and get a good lunch in, you know, and, and just do something nerdy and fun. Yeah, exactly. Any last thoughts about the Am I Even Kolsch before I let you guys loose? I mean, it was fun coming up with the name too. Yeah. I'm not kidding. I read through that list and I, I was like, oh, okay, I'll have one of those. I'll have one of these. And then, wait, what was that? Yeah. That, the beer was originally going to be Kolsch enough. But <laughs> apparently that was taken. Uh, I do like that name. Am I even Kolsch? Uh, so, again, folks, make your way over to, to Radiant. Make your way over to Topa. Uh, sadly, you won't be able to taste uh, this beer because it is a little bit like the mythical brown buffalo. It's a little too weird to live and too rare to die. (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Drew. Appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope you enjoyed this look at just how such a strange yet tasty beast came to be in existence. Is it a historical? Absolutely. Is it bound to make somebody mad? Naturally. Is it a tasty beer? You betcha. Now, remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcastexperimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at dennyexperimentalbrew.com or druidexperimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at expbrewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, and Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And, of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. 
Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, click the AHA, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Project Freedom Ride. Go rescue some of those pups. Until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, a group of more than 40,000 individuals from more than 70 countries who share a passion for brewing and enjoying great beer. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org.